Thanks. Man, you know, that was a great song. Uh, kind of reminded me of when I got married. Uh, when our, one of my friends sang that song at our wedding, uh, Michelle and I's wedding. Man, there's 19 days left of school. And uh, it's almost over. And that's if you don't count weekends. If you're in trouble with homework and uh, you need to count the weekends, then you have 25 days left. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh, just my time here at Master's College and how it's almost over. I've been here for four years, and just I was thinking about the, just what a role this, this school has played in my life, in my development, and just the people that I know, the friends that I have. And Well, speaking of friends, does anybody here know a guy named Steve Alderetti? If you know Steve, raise your hand, just so I can tell. Okay, yeah, Steve has some friends. Well, today is Steve's birthday. He turns 21, so happy birthday, Steve. Um, you know, I am just a different guy now than I was when I came to this college. And uh, uh, I think about all the things that went into forming who I am and, and just the transition that has taken place in my life in this last four years. And I was thinking back to um, just Old Testament survey with Brian Taves, New Testament with Tom Halstead, Christian theology with, with Dewey Bertolini, um, and some of the chapel speakers that were here my freshman year of college. And just all that, that, that happened, and I was thinking about, man, what life used to be like here and how I just couldn't think about graduating. It seemed so far off. And I remember I would come to chapel, and every single day, every single Wednesday or Monday, I would sit in chapel, and it's like I would walk out convicted, and I would feel, man, you know, that, I, there's so much in my life that needs to change. And I just really developed this love for Old and New Testament, for the Bible. And before I came to this school, I was not a very good student. And in my time here, man, it wasn't like school. I thought I would never make it through college, but when I came here, it's like I was making it through because I was studying the Bible. And I thought, man, this isn't homework. They're telling me to go home and read Genesis. You know, what is that? And I just really loved it. It was great. You know, God's taught me so much, and that was like the beginning of my Christian experience. Being here at school, man, I've gone through some really rough times, some hard times emotionally, personally. Some of the most exciting things have happened to me. In this last four years, I got married. Um, to Michelle Racinello, who's not a student here, but you know, I got married while I was a student here. Some of the greatest things that has happened to me. And I've decided to spend my life penetrating a culture that's developed in our society. And this culture is the, the culture that, that is developed in the area of youth and the youth ministry. And it's, this is a kind of a new thing And that, you know, like a hundred years ago, they didn't have youth pastors. But now it's like youth have developed like their own dress, their own, their own ways of, of their own language, their own attitudes, their own um, struggles. It's like there's this different segment of society that needs to be penetrated. And that's what I want to spend my life doing, is taking the gospel and making it meaningful to people and um, to young people growing up. But that's not what I want to talk to you about this morning. This morning, I want to talk to you about another group that has developed its own culture, its own language, its own dress. I want to talk to you about the church. In many ways, the church has failed at reaching people for Jesus Christ because we've developed our own culture, our own, our own way of talking, our own way of dress. And in a sense, we've separated ourselves from the world and from the time that we live in. And one of the, one of the things, one of the words that you may recognize, have you ever heard of the Christian bubble? When we talk about here that at Master's College, we say, man, we're in the Master's College bubble. And we all know what that means. It's not just here at the Master's College. It's in the church. There's this Christian bubble that surrounds people. Um, let me describe that to you. That's when we spend all of our time with Christians. When all we hang out with is other believers. 
It's when we start developing wrong attitudes and wrong ideas of what spirituality is. We start looking at the outside of everybody, what they're wearing, the clothes they're wearing. We start looking at, you know, the things that they do. How many Bible studies do you go to? You know, who has the earliest quiet time? And we start looking at the outside of people and evaluating their spirituality. Sometimes that happens in this Christian bubble. Another thing that happens is we become textbook Christians. We, we, we become Christians that study the Bible and, and we start learning all the things that we learn, like in Old Testament, New Testament, Christian theology. We learn all these great things, but we can't apply it to people, to the lives of people in a meaningful way. So it's like we know all this stuff, but somehow it doesn't translate into our lives. That happens in the Christian bubble. And then the next step, I think, is stagnation. And that's where we've been in this Christian bubble for so long, we start getting stagnated. And I don't know if that's happened to any of you where you remember back in chapel used to be this great place to come. You used to love your Bible classes. Doing homework wasn't even homework. But now towards maybe the second, third, fourth year of school, man, it's a drag. You don't want to hear another sermon. You go to biology and you say, man, why does this teacher have to talk so much about God? I'm here for biology. You know, I have biology... uh, developmental biology with Dr. England at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it's like having a, a devotional every morning in biology because we're studying how, how um, creatures develop. And it's like he just applies the Word of God to that in such a meaningful way. And it's like, yeah. But it's like we become textbook Christians. We get stagnated. Our hearts start getting cold. We're chapels a drag and, and schools a drag. It's like as, as Christians, somehow we've like retreated and we pulled back and we get into our own little world. Well, that's wrong. It's wrong for Christians to move into a position where they cannot relate to people that are outside the faith, people that are outside the church. And the reason for that is that God has called us as Christians to reach the world. It's one thing when a bunch of high schoolers and junior hires growing up kind of get off and parents are going, man, my son's in, he's in junior highs and I, I, I can't relate to him. And I think, man, this kid lives in your house. And they're like, yeah, I can't understand that kid. He's in junior high. It's one thing when, when high schoolers and junior highers do that. It's another thing when the church does that. The Master's College Handbook talks about how we're here to extend the kingdom of God. Man, that's our purpose. We want to send people into other countries to be missionaries, to take the message of God to people that are dying and going to hell that don't know Christ. We want to send people into the church that can go and can infiltrate a church that... In many, in many cases, man, they don't even recognize the Word of God as absolute. It's like the Presbyterian Church. All the things you hear about going on there. It's like the theory of you know, relative standards of you know, love is the, the absolute standard, not God's Word. It's like we want to send Christians into that kind of a church that can influence it. And you know, I was thinking, before I came to this school, I was an electrician. And uh, I was at lunch one day with my partner and we're standing in line at Carl's Jr., and this guy walks up, or he's actually in front of us in line, and he's got these coupons, and he's buying some things from Carl's Jr., and uh, he's got these coupons, he's getting a break, and my partner says, man, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had some coupons? Kind of says it out loud. And the guy turns around, he says, well, would you like some coupons? And this, my friend goes, well, yeah, sure. And he says, well, I got some in my pocket if you think you can take them from me. And it's like, and we just kind of stood there, and we're like, whoa. <laughs> All right, you know, ah, that's cool. And so we, we get our lunch. You want to hear them something incredibly amazing? I showed up in church Saturday or Sunday night, and there are these missionaries that are given this this uh, this um, presentation of where they've been for the last four years. And who is it standing up there? It's the guy who was in front of me 
It calls Junior. And this guy's a missionary. And I'm thinking, wow, how in the world does that happen? That a guy goes to be a missionary in other countries and standing in Carl's Jr., he's telling some guy, I got something in my pocket if you think you can take it. I think, man, how does that happen? You know? And then I started thinking about what happens in the church. Man, we're Christians here, and a lot of times we think way off. We think up to where we're going, what we're going to do. I'm going to be a youth pastor someday. I'm going to be a missionary. But we're in our own little world, and we can't relate to the people around us that are here in this valley. Now, we need to not think so much about what's happening out there, but what are we going to do right now to the people that are around us? Man, I think there are three things that can help us overcome that problem. And number one, if we look at Israel, we look at the Pharisees and we start learning from some of their mistakes because those people did the same thing that the church does in a lot of cases. Another thing, if we look at the Apostle Paul and we take his attitude, the attitude that he had in reaching people, and if we start emulating that, thinking about that, and putting that into our lives. And the third thing I think that can help us is if we start thinking about what it means to love people, to love people that are lost, to love people that are other Christians. And if we don't just think about what it means, but we start doing what it means to love people. Those are three things I think that can help us. Michelle was sharing Christ with a girl at work. And uh, um, this girl has been through so much, it's incredible. I mean, her dad killed a couple people. Her mom died when she was young. And I mean, her life is just a mess. And one of the things that she said to Michelle was, you know, I just can't understand why God would only choose one race of people. Why does God only want one race? Especially now in our day, it's like the, the whole issue of race is such a big deal. And why would God only choose one group of people? And I started thinking, man, how would you answer that question? How would I answer that question? Why would God only choose one race of people? And not everyone. Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's not really that complicated. God chose Israel, not, I only want to save Israel. The Israelites are the only people I care about. That wasn't his, his motive in, in choosing them. He chose them to reach other people. They were his priests, the nation of priests that were supposed to take the message to the rest of the world. That the rest of the world was supposed to be able to see God through the nation of Israel. And that's what the church is. And it's like, somehow she thinks, well, God only cared about the Jews. Why? Israel, let's look at what they were called to, to be. In Genesis chapter 17, 1, God says, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Leviticus 19, 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Israel was first of all called to be a holy nation. A nation that was separated from sin. A nation that was separated to be God's people, to do God's work here on this earth. That was the first thing that they were called to do. The next thing, they were called to be a nation of priests. They're supposed to carry out God's business here on this earth. Lead people in worshiping God. And while the priests of Israel did that for the Israelites, Israel as a nation was supposed to do that to all the nations of the world. They're supposed to carry out God's business and lead all the people in the world to worship God. Um, Genesis 26.4 says, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your descendants all the lands 
and by all and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Man, God's chosen people. That was a nation that God was going to bless everybody through. Bring Jesus Christ. He gave them the word of God. Um, that Israel was chosen to be God's missionaries. Exodus 19.6 says, And you shall be the kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Man, God told them, you tell everyone in Israel, you're a kingdom, a nation of priests. That's what, they were, that's what Israel was. You know what Israel's problem was? One of their problems, they, had a, they didn't have the right concept of what holiness was. They missed the boat. It, holiness from Unger's Bible Dictionary, it says that it's a general term used to, used to indicate sanctity or separation from all that is sinful, impure, or morally imperfect. Holiness means you're separate from sin. Israel felt like holiness meant you get separated from people. You have nothing to do with anybody who's not like you, who doesn't live in your little rituals. That's what they thought holiness was. And when God told them, look, you need to cut your, don't cut your hair like this, don't dress like this, He wasn't saying, look, don't be worldly, don't be like the other people in your time. He was saying, don't imitate their idol worship. Don't cut your hair like they do when they worship idols. Don't do things that identify you with their gods. Be separate from their worship, from their sin. He didn't say, kind of withdraw, go live like up on a mountain somewhere and have nothing to do with anybody out there. Israel misunderstood what it meant to be holy. And in their misunderstanding of holiness, man, they, they blew it. They got cold-hearted. They got filled with sin and compromise. And while they, on the outside, they were looking at all these things. Inside, man, they were rotten. They got legalistic. They thought that when God wrote the Bible, He forgot a bunch of things. So they made a list that they could add to it. And that's what they used in Jesus' day. They were legalistic. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Man, on the outside, they were nice and, they were nice and white. But inside, man, they were rotten. And it's because they missed the point of holiness. The religious culture in the church has made some of the same mistakes. In some ways, we've, we've imitated Israel instead of learning from their mistakes. We're supposed to be here to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Matthew 28:19 says, Go th therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to make disciples. Luke 10, 2 says, and he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Man, the world out there is ripe. They need the message of Jesus Christ. And who's taking it? You know, it should be a disgrace to us. It should make us sick when in our, in our country, here in the Santa Clarita Valley, there are so many people that have no idea what a Christian is. It's like people in my apartment complex, they talk to me, and it's like, they find out that I work at a church and they're just amazed and they say, well, can you say a prayer for me? I'm sure you know a good prayer for this situation. They have no idea what Christianity is when there are so many Christians in this area. And it's, I'm not talking about Methodists or, you know, I'm not talking about people that are in left field. I'm talking about people that go to, not that if you're a Methodist, you're in left field. But uh, I'm not talking about the people that, that are like out there that ordain homosexuals as pastors. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about there are so many churches that believe that the Word of God is absolute. And yet, people in this country where there are so many Christians don't even know what a Christian is. They don't have a concept of what a real Christian is. They think that means you wear a sack dress with doilies on top. They think that that means that you wear a polyester suit instead of a regular one. 
They have no idea what it, what it means to be a Christian. We're supposed to touch lives of people, not just out there, but we're supposed to touch the lives of people in the body of Christ. In so many ways, we're, we're, we're hung up on, on our religion that we can't get out there and do what God wants us to do. We need to reevaluate our measurement of spirituality. And if it's just on what's on the outside, if it's what clothes you're wearing, we need to reevaluate what we, what we think is spiritual. And it's not just the outside. We need to get out of our Christian bubble and start reaching people that are out there that need Jesus Christ. Paul's attitude, man, Paul let nothing matter that didn't matter. He's, he's my hero. When I read the Bible, I want to be like Paul. He was a guy that was so committed, he would sacrifice anything, he would do anything to reach people. He wouldn't let anything matter that didn't matter. And it's something I'm trying to do. And you know, I struggle with this, this Christian bubble stuff as much as anybody else. Paul, man, he would do anything to reach the lost. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23 says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. Man, is that what you want to do? Are you going through life thinking, man, I'm here at Master's College, I'm kicking it, I'm having fun. Are you thinking, I want to reach as many people as I can? It doesn't mean you can't have fun. It means that that's your number one priority, reaching as many people as you can. Um, Verse 20, verse, uh, 20 says, To the Jew I became like a Jew to win the Jew. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though myself I am not under the law. So as to win those who are under the law. Paul limited his Christian freedom to reach people under the law. He wouldn't do anything that would get in the way of his message. And then it says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Paul used his Christian freedom. He didn't go out and sin. He didn't say, I'm free to do anything as a Christian. But he used his, his Christian freedom to the max when it came to reaching people. Paul used it all. And then in verse 22 it says, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak I became all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, what matters? Sacrifice anything that doesn't matter. What matters? God's word matters. Philippians 1.27, Paul also said, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What's the gospel worthy of? What does it mean when you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel? It means that you live your life with the Bible as your absolute standard. The Bible is, your, is where the buck stops. That's, that's it. The absolute standard. What the gospel is wor worthy of? The Bible is worthy of being sufficient in our lives. You know what? Sufficiency moves out a whole lot farther than just not turning to psychology for the answers to all our life's problems. Yeah, that's one thing in sufficiency. You know what else sufficiency means? It means that when God wrote the Bible, He didn't forget anything. We don't have to add a whole bunch of rules and regulations to the Bible to say, okay, this is what a Christian is. This is how you live a holy life. You don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. And we take our convictions in our gray areas and we put them on everybody else. It's okay to have convictions and to figure out where you are in the, area of, in the gray areas. But when we start taking those gray areas, places that the Bible does not speak, and we start evaluating, evaluating other people's holiness by those things, 
We're not relying on the sufficiency of Christ. We're living like God forgot something when He wrote the Bible. Well, He didn't. He didn't forget anything. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Man, this is our, our owner's manual to life. This is how we live, what we, what we find in God's Word. What, what, does, what does matter? Let me read you something. It's from uh, John MacArthur's commentary on 1 Corinthians. It says, Paul became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. He did not compromise on the gospel. He would not change the least truth in any way to satisfy anyone. But he would concede in any way for anyone if, if, if that would in any way bring him to Christ. He would never set aside a truth of the gospel. He would gladly restrict his liberty in the gospel. He would not offend a Jew, a Gentile, or those weak in understanding. If a person is offended by God's word, that's his problem. If he's offended by biblical doctrine, biblical standards, or church discipline, that's his, his problem. That person is offended by God. Then he says, But if he's offended by our, un our unnecessary behavior or practices, no matter how good and acceptable those may be in themselves, his problem becomes our problem. I think John MacArthur's right. When people are offended because of unnecessary practices of ours, no matter how good those may be, their problem becomes our problem. As Christians, we don't need to pull out and be different from everyone else in the world in the sense of how they dress, in the sense of how they look, in the sense of that when you walk somewhere, people go, what's wrong with him? And it's because you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt, not because you're being a Christian. What... What doesn't matter? Our, com our culture, relig our religious preferences, our comfort, our liberty. We need to use our liberty to the maximum if that's what we need to do to reach people. That doesn't mean sin. It means it, use your liberty. We need to change our attitude. Because, you know, a lot of people, they don't say what they think. When I first came to uh, Master's College, I went to a church on Sunday night. First time I'd ever been there. I'd ever been there. And... and you know that guy talking about billboard Christians? I couldn't help but think of myself. I have a surfboard, and in the bottom in giant letters it says, God rules. You know? And, and when I was, uh, um, I used to wear Christian t-shirts to work all the time. Every shirt I had had something about Christian. I did it for a couple reasons. Number one, I knew everyone knew I was a Christian helped me stay accountable. And number two, I wanted to, people to ask me about my shirt, give me a chance to talk to them. Well, one day I came to school, first time I'd ever been in this Sunday night service, and I walk in, and I'm sitting there and it's a James Dobson film. I don't even remember what it was about. But one of the things that he talked about was rock music and how it, it, it was affecting the youth growing up and how it was so destructive in their lives. And as I walked out of church, I had this shirt on that said, Rock and Roll. I don't know if you've seen it. My foot is on the rock and my name is on the roll. I'm walking out of church and there's this group of people standing there and they're looking at me. And I said, Hi, how you doing? And this lady says, Don't you feel stupid? And I, I, I didn't know where she was coming from. I said, well, actually, no. What do you mean? And she said, well, you're sure it says rock and roll. Don't you feel stupid after hearing what James Dobson said? And I, I looked at her and I said, did you read my shirt? And then she reads it and starts laughing. I said, now, don't you feel stupid? <laughs> actually, actually, I didn't say that. 
But I walked away thinking, man, what would happen if a guy walked in here with long hair and a shirt that said, Mr. Zog's sex wax or something? What kind of response is he going to get? This lady didn't know me. I'd never been in the church before. And she's saying, don't you feel stupid. People that are Christians feel like they need to stand up for God's word. They need to stand up for his, for his absolute standards, but they don't have a concept on what it means to do that. And they do things like that. I was at this, this party, and, uh, and there's this clown that came, and, the, and she was telling us of this fun game, how you, know, you tie balloons to somebody's ankle and you can stomp them. Have you ever done that? She's doing that with the little kids, and she starts going, oh man, I know a way you can have you know, fun with this at an adult party. And I just, you know, we're kind of going, oh, okay. And nobody said anything. And so she kind of stopped. And one of the other ladies felt like it was her Christian responsibility to assert Christianity. And she said, oh, no, thanks. You can keep that to yourself. We don't need to hear that here. And I thought, wow, that's great. <laughs> you know, show the love of Christ to somebody who obviously doesn't know him. That she's going to feel like sitting down and talking to you after that. People feel like they need to stand up for Christianity and instead they offend people by being jerks instead of offending them with God's Word. We need to start loving people. We need to think about what it means to love people. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. James 2 talks about the sin of partiality, how we walk around instead of loving people, we're honoring rich people and setting the poor guy in the back. We need to start loving people. We need to view ourselves as missionaries in this world where we live today. Not thinking about, well, one day in the future I'm going to be a youth pastor and then I'll really make a difference in the lives of kids. One day in the future I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to really get those, uh, those Indians who don't speak my language. I'm going to penetrate their culture. And you might as well forget it if you can't reach the people that you grew up with, the people who live in the same town, the same place that you do. If you can't reach them, don't go to another country. Stay here and figure out what it means to be a Christian, then go to another country. You don't just give somebody four spiritual laws, pat them on their back, send them on their way. That's not being a missionary. That's not loving people. There's this guy, his name is Mark. He's, he's in another sense, he is my mentor in what it means to share Christ with people out there in the world. He's a sales manager at a Ford dealership, and I don't even know him personally. I met him a couple times. This guy was a Catholic. He got saved. And he started sharing Christ with everybody that he worked with. They called him Reverend Ike at work. That's Reverend Ike. I don't know where Ike came from. It's not his name or anything. It's Reverend Ike. And he'd share with everybody. You know, he had KKLA playing in his office. One day, this 19-year-old girl came to work for him. And he started sharing Christ with her. She was a hard case. She was one of those people that I'm glad I didn't share Christ with. She probably would have nothing to do with Christianity if it was, if it was up to me. Raised in a non-Christian home, a dad who's an atheist... He feels like, man, my Christians are kids. My, my kids are Christians. Where'd I go wrong? She showed up in his Ford dealership and he started sharing Christ with her. He started praying for her. He started saying, you know what? All I, I just want you to make it into heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't care if you barely make it. I just want you to get there. And he'd say, you want to go home early? Here, you read this chapter in the Bible. You come tomorrow and tell me about it. You can go home early today. You want to go home early? Here, listen to this tape. You know what? He put Christianity, he put reaching people for Jesus Christ above his business. He wouldn't rip people off. He was an example of what it meant to be a Christian. He was in everybody's life, but he wasn't doing it with, I'm this spiritual person, let me reach down into your, your little dirt world and help you up. <laughs> he did it with, man, I love you, I care about you, I just want you saved. Two years later, 
that person got saved, that person is my wife, Michelle. And I'm glad that there was a guy out there that was, that was reaching her. We need to start loving people and to be missionaries. And you know what? That shows in our attitudes and our actions, not just the things that we say. And while all of us may not say to somebody, don't you feel stupid, a lot of us feel that way when we look at people. And they pick it up. And when you do that, it's wrong because you're putting up a wall for you to reach them. You're putting up a wall between you and them to help them reach, to reach them for Jesus Christ. We need to love lost people, but that's not all. You can't just love lost people. You've got to love Christians too. You've got to love Christians. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you know what that means? That means that we love less spiritual Christians. When you look around and you see people that kind of tick you off, those Christians that are less spiritual, they need to grow in their relationship with God. It means you love them. And you know what? That means you humbly get involved in, your li- in their lives. If you're looking at somebody right now, you all know them. They're the guys in the dorm that are on the edge. They're on the edge, not on the cutting edge for Christ. They're on the edge of the cliff getting ready to fall off. We need to look at those people. We need to start getting involved in their life humbly, not with, let me impart my spiritual wisdom to you. I'm trying to work with so-and-so in the dorm. Not those kind of attitudes. We need to humbly get involved in their life and find out what they're struggling with. Find out where they need to grow. A lot of times we think we have people all figured out and we're wrong. I can't think of how many times in the four years I've been at Church of the Canyons that I've looked at a junior higher and I've said, man, this person's going a long way for God. They ask me all the right questions. makes me feel important. Noel, can you explain this part of your lesson to me? I think, man, this person's really going to make a difference for God. Yeah, you can tell. They're listening to me. No. And then a couple of years later, man, they're out there somewhere. Their, their relationship for God is like, where is it? A lot of times we think we're good, we're good judges of people. We can evaluate people real well. And the truth is, man, we're, a lot of times we're wrong. We have no idea what we're looking at. And the people that you think, ah, oh, no, he's never going to make any difference for God. He's the one out there bringing all his unsaved friends to the junior high group. That's why God wrote Romans chapter 14, verse 4. That's why he wrote that, I think. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We're not out there to to evaluate everybody else and figure out where they are. And if you're looking at somebody, you feel like they're on the edge, man, get involved in their life. Because they may be on the edge and they need you. But what they don't need is somebody looking down on them going, "You you little pagan, let me help you out. That's another thing I learned in uh, biology. Dr. England helps me be current with junior high. He told me that, that pagan and heathen used to mean somebody who didn't believe in the Bible. Now it means you're a party animal and you're fun to be with. So anyway, I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> we need to humbly get involved in people's lives, not with spiritual arrogance. Christians need to be involved in the ministry of confrontation. When you see somebody who's in sin, I mean, you need to get in their life. They need you in their life. But what they don't need is somebody going, that idiot's wearing jeans to chapel again. That's not what we need. That's not what people need. That ought to be a sign to you, man. Something's not right in the guy's life. Let me get involved, figure out what it is, and help him deal with it. That's what it ought to be a sign of. If inside, when you see people in sin, there's like this anger that kind of gets in there, and you're thinking, jerk. Man, you need to adjust your attitude. Don't confront anybody. 
Man, get yourself right first. And then get out there and start getting involved in the lives of people who need it. Galatians 6.1 says, You who are spiritual, restore somebody who's like been caught in a trespass. You've got to look to yourself, though, it says, in case you get tempted, realizing that, man, you're not bulletproof, you're not so great. You could be there, too. We need to be involved in the lives of other Christians who need to be confronted. I'm talking about spiritual arrogance. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced it. You can respond to it in one of two ways. When somebody gets spiritually arrogant with you. You can respond by, by, by rebelling, by being in sin, by saying, tell me I can't wear jeans to chapel. I'll do it anyway. You can respond by rebelling against you know, the guys, the RAs in your dorm. That's how you can respond to the spiritual arrogance of Christianity. You can take it out on every, everybody that's in authority over you. You can use it as an excuse to sin. You can call everybody a hypocrite. Man, they're all hypocrites in Christianity. That's one response you can have to spiritual arrogance. And you know what? You're no different than they are. If you do that, you're no different than the hypocrites. When you've got long hair and you know it's against the rules and you're doing it because you're rebelling against those people that are hypocrites in Christianity. You wear earrings to class even when you know that it's wrong because the rules say you shouldn't do it. And personally, I'm against all those rules because I think they add something to God's Word that's not there. But if you're at this school, if you're at this school, you ought to submit to them and you ought to happily submit to them. And if you're coming to chapel with a chip on your shoulder saying, man, look at what they're doing to me, then you're the same as all the hypocrites in Christianity and you're not going to reach people either because they're going to look at you and go, man, what an attitude of rebellion and sin. I want nothing to do with that. What, what, your other response to spiritual arrogance is you can start loving those people. You can start getting in their lives and you can start helping them to wake up to what Christianity is because they're hung up on what's outside. And they need you in their life. So if somebody's spiritually arrogant, they're coming down on you, man, get to know them, be their friend, and try to help them see it. Don't just respond with, I hate you. Our goal, our goal in life is to reach as many people as possible. We ought to let nothing get in the way of reaching people. We ought to be like Paul, man. When it comes to non-Christians, do anything to get them into the faith. When it comes to Christians... And we ought to get out there. We ought to start loving them and help them, helping them along in the Christian faith. Man, I need it. You need it. We need each other. We need, each other to, we need to start loving each other. So we need to get rid of the Christian bubble as much as we can. Don't withdraw. Don't be different from everybody else and think, if you wear clothes that don't match anybody else's, that you're a spiritual Christian. Being a Christian is different from not relating to anybody in the world. It means that you're not involved in the sin that they're involved in. It means that you're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're getting it to people and you're getting it into their lives because you're their friend. They can talk to you. They feel like this is a human being, not some guy from Mars. As Christians, we shouldn't be guys from Mars. We've got to get out of the Christian bubble as much as we can. We need to get the right attitude and that's to do anything to get people saved. Limit your Christian freedom. Use your Christian freedom. Do whatever you need to do to reach people. Don't compromise. Don't get in sin. Be humble when you're getting involved in people's lives. And we need to let love be the thing that moves us into the lives of people. You look at somebody. You care about them. You hurt for where their life may be going. And that's why you want to get involved in their life and confront them. Not because you want to have the, the wing with nobody in chapel and jeans but because you love and you care about people.
That ought to be what moves you into their life. When you look at somebody who shows up in church or who's, who's at where you work and they're cussing or they're wearing some shirt that has some, you know, something plastered across it that is totally opposed to everything in Christianity, don't look at them and think, man, you idiot. I wish you weren't here. Look at them and think, man, that person needs Jesus Christ and I need to get to know him, be his friend, let him know I love him and tell him the message. And if he gets offended by God's word, that's okay. Just make sure he doesn't get offended because you're a jerk. I'm trying to keep people from getting offended because I'm a jerk and it's not always that easy. Sometimes I do things. So remember those things, man. Time is short. We don't have that much time. Jesus Christ is going to come back. A lot of people out there aren't saved. We need to get into churches. And we need to start making a difference by our attitudes and by loving people, by setting the example. And we need to start reaching people around us instead of living in our own little bubble. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thanks for your word. I ask that you would help us to be Christians that are not wrapped up in our Christian culture to where we can't be effective in reaching people. Help us to get out of our own little world. And God, help me because I have a hard time with that. Thanks for this morning in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.